The word of the Lord from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I think it's safe to say that January has not been the healthiest month for me. With many of you, I had a share of whatever has been going around the valley. And overall, I'm glad it happened when it did. I made it through all the Christmas services as well as those trips to Wisconsin and North Dakota, all right. And the busied schedule of Lent is not yet quite upon us. So, if I had to be sick for a bit, I suppose this was a good time. And sadly, you and I have to be sick. It's one of those thorns and thistles from the fall, a consequence of being a sinner in a cursed world. The winter season, with its potent share of colds, flu, RSV, and now COVID, provides all sorts of occasions to come down with some virus unless you lock yourself in a closet for several months and avoid people completely. I've said before that God gathers and sin divides. In a very pragmatic application, God gathers his people together in the divine service so that they can receive his gifts of life and salvation, and then viruses tag along to try to scatter his people away. In his kindness, the Lord provides gifts like antibiotics and other medications as people continue to explore his creation and uncover his treasures for this body and life. So... If we have to be sick, it is a good time to be alive. There are few medications at the time of Jesus' public ministry, and while I don't know the rates of infectious diseases at the time, they're going to be a lot more serious without our modern remedies. Jesus has just finished his preaching at the synagogue in Capernaum where he cast out the evil spirit, and you'd think that would be enough for one day. Immediately, though, he goes to the house of Simon and Andrew, where Simon's brother-in-law is lying ill with a fever, a potentially grave condition. As soon as they tell Jesus about it, he goes to her, and he doesn't mix together some herbal concoction or begin some complicated ceremonial dance. Now he just touches her, 
He takes her by the hand and the fever goes away. And while most people feel like a wet noodle after a high fever for a bit, she gets up and starts to serve them like she was never ill at all. She's fully healed miraculously on the spot. It's a miracle, of course, but don't miss how unusual it is. If it's given to you to care for someone with a raging fever, you're going to take some precautions, I would think. I mean, if I visit someone so afflicted in the hospital, I'm going to be required to put on a mask, gloves, gown, and maybe a face shield. Why? So that I don't get sick. It's easy to get sick. And if that fever is a sign of something contagious, then you need to be careful so that you don't catch it too. It's far easier to get sick in this world than it is to stay healthy. In the case of Peter's mother-in-law, though, when Jesus touches her, he doesn't catch her illness. Instead, she catches his health. That's more than unusual. That simply isn't how things work in a world falling apart because of sin. Things just don't move in that direction. They go from pure to impure, not the other way around. If you're on a hike and you want to refill your half-full water bottle from that mountain stream that's teeming with Giardia, the potable water in the bottle isn't going to make the stream water okay to drink. If you're in the fabrication plant at, say, a large microchip-making corporation, you don't open the doors and windows in order to cut down on the number of pollutants in the air. Why imagine if we could get rid of inversion pollution in the valley simply by opening our windows and doors to let the clean air out and overcome the smog? But that isn't how it works. And it's not just true about health and environmental factors. It's it's true about morality, for sexual purity is hard to maintain and our society's anything-goes mentality isn't making anyone more chaste and virginal. Courage and integrity are difficult to maintain, while cowardice and dishonesty spread easily. And of course, the plan for maintaining a congregation's orthodox confession of faith does not include saying to people, you're welcome to be a member here no matter what you believe. Everything in a sinful world naturally moves from pure to impure, from good to corrupted, from virtue to vice, from life to death. It's remarkable that Jesus doesn't catch the woman's fever, but that she contracts his health instead. And it's not a one-off either. That evening at sundown, people keep bringing the sick and demon-oppressed to the door until pretty much the entire city is jostling on the front lawn. Jesus heals many. He heals people with various diseases and casts out many demons. It's not like he can knock back some illnesses but has to let others go or that some demons resist him while others do not. He doesn't get bored and retire for the night. He takes all comers, and he heals them all. He doesn't walk away with the sniffles or rash or any other illness picked up from someone that he cures. Pure, he purifies. Incorruptible, he uncorrupts the corrupted. He reverses the inevitable curse of sin. And again, while that evening in Capernaum is a milestone of hope for humanity, it may not be that dramatic at all to see. 
Jesus may be telling cancers to flee and demons to be gone in a conversational voice no more excited than mine right now. All of this announces that the Lord is among the grasshoppers. That's imagery from our Old Testament lesson today. In Isaiah 40, verse 22, we hear that the Lord sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's you and me, those grasshoppers. We're numerous, swarming, making a mess, and doing very little in the way of being helpful to the one true God who created us. We have a pretty high opinion of ourselves, but I would imagine that grasshoppers don't mind who they are very much either. So let's be clear. As greater as you are to a grasshopper, the Lord is infinitely greater than you. In addition, grasshoppers are just going about the job of being grasshoppers, whereas sinners, well, they're usually plotting against God's will and disobeying Him left and right. How does the Lord deal with these grasshoppers in Isaiah chapter 40? We hear, He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see this prophecy happening in our gospel reading that night in Capernaum. The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, is standing outside of Simon's house among the grasshoppers, giving power to the faint and increasing the strength of them who have no might. Before you nod your head, Note that this, too, is not quite the way that you should expect things to go. God is holy, and in His holiness, He purifies by getting rid of impure things. In other words, according to His holiness alone, when God visits the grasshoppers, He should purify the world by destroying them with holy fire. But He is not there to get rid of impure sinners along with their impurities, Because he is gracious and merciful, he is in the flesh to purify them by getting rid of their sin. Marvel at this. Think about it. If you walk into your home one day and find it teeming with millions of diseased grasshoppers, your first thought is not that you're going to try to nurse them back to health one by one and see how many you can get to survive. Personally, My first thought is to call the exterminator, but that's only if burning down the house doesn't do the trick. Yet here we find Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, through whom all things are created in the flesh, healing sinners one by one. Marvel at that, then marvel at this. When I say that Jesus doesn't catch the woman's fever... It's to make the point that the pure is purifying the impure, which is opposite of a sinful world. At the same time, while Jesus doesn't catch the fever, he does take it. He takes it into himself. He purifies sinners by exchanging their sin and their infirmities for his righteousness and blessedness. 
He carries that load, bears that burden all the way to a hill called Calvary. If that isn't enough, on the cross he endures the grasshopper's mockery and accusations that he is the one who is guilty, corrupted, blasphemous, and he suddenly accepts the denunciations so that he can die in their place for their guilt, for their corruption, for their blasphemies. So he has died in your place for your sin too. So with forgiveness, he exchanges your sin for his righteousness. We rejoice in this, especially at today's 1045 service where Thomas Bernard is baptized. Thomas is a strapping young 12-day-old, a hefty 8 pounds, 3 ounces at birth and in good health. However, he was born with a malady far worse than this woman's fever in our text, for Thomas was born sinful. Today, by water and the word, the Lord himself visits Thomas, shares with him his death and resurrection. And as we rejoiced four weeks ago, in baptism today, Thomas' sin is washed off of him. And it's washed unto Christ who has taken it to the cross to redeem Thomas. That is our joy for Thomas. That is our joy for you. That forgiveness, remember, is a greater miracle than Jesus healing diseases or casting out demons because it opens the gates of heaven. Following that night in Capernaum, Well, Jesus could just set up a clinic right there and have plenty of patience for the rest of his days. Instead, though, he says to his disciples the next day, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So he leaves Capernaum and travels from town to town, preaching repentance and casting out demons. So he makes sure that far from Capernaum, You hear his gospel in Boise, Idaho today. For by that word of grace, you know your sins are forgiven. You know that the gates of heaven are open for you. And when the Lord summons you home, the afflictions of this world and the diseases of this January, along with all sorrow and sighing, they'll all be former things that have passed away. But you... You will live forever in Christ, not as a grasshopper, but as a beloved child of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.